Hello, my name is Nathan Foster, and welcome once again to the Renovari Weekly Podcast. Hey, last week I read through your birthday projects uh, for my dad, and then later realized I left some out. So I apologize for that, but do know that it reached my dad. Today, my guest is Bob Freiling. Bob recently retired as the head of InterVarsity Press, a post he held for 19 years. So if IVP's published a book you like in the last 19 years, we can in part thank Bob for it. Before working with IVP, he was on campus staff for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship and the national director. And it is with great pride that he's married to author and spiritual director Alice Friley. You know, there's uh, something I really like about a person highly accomplished in their career like Bob, yet remains humble, kind, and accessible. Just a, a great guy. Today we chat about his wonderful book titled The Leadership Ellipse, Shaping How We Lead by Who We Are. Enjoy. Hey, Bob. Hi, Nate. Good to see you. Well, it's good to be with you. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, you... Spent 19 years, publisher at InterVarsity Press, yes? That is true. Yeah, wonderful years. I thoroughly enjoyed them. Yes. In your time with InterVarsity, is there a thing or two that you saw happen through those years that you are kind of most proud of or happy with uh, direction of InterVarsity Press? Well, one of the key um, issues that I was involved with and really committed to was the beginning of the Formatio line, mm-hmm. which is really our line of books on spiritual formation. And a lot of this came out of my, my wife's Alice's experience, that she was a spiritual director for many years, and I got to uh, benefit from <laughs> being married to a spiritual director and uh, reading a lot of things and uh, seeing the importance of the issues of the soul and of the inner life, went to mm-hmm. Renovari conferences, and really felt that the evangelical church needed uh, much more help in spiritual formation issues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's when we began to talk about having a spiritual formation line. And uh, that was exciting. Um, and we really embraced that. We're probably the first evangelical publishing house to really make a major dent mm-hmm. in uh, raising visibility for issues of the soul. And um, we had some fun authors like yourself and your dad, (laughs) Dallas and Eugene, and uh, a lot of the folks that overlapped. And uh, that was a real joy for me to be involved in that way. Well, one of the things that struck me about um, InterVarsity Press is there seems to be a genuine care about content and what you guys are putting out there. Um, and, And I just can't help but wonder how your work there influenced setting a culture that kind of really cares about work and books and, and what you guys are publishing. Is that, am I getting an accurate assessment? Well, it's something I very much was engaged with and cared about. I, I wouldn't say that I was responsible for it all and that we had a lot of very fine people and a real rich heritage with InterVarsity Press and people that had gone before Um. I think, though, coming out of a ministry background with students and faculty, Mm -hmm. I had a a sense of how to bring business and ministry um, values together, which is a real challenge. How how do you emphasize content and also (laughs) make enough money to keep going and grow as a a publishing house? Mm -hmm. Um, So that was both a challenge and a real um, 
encouragement to see that happen. Uh, I, I felt that um, so many of our folks really cared about our books, and that was part of the hiring process, that we really wanted people who liked what we were publishing. Mm-hmm. In fact, we um, participated in the Best Christian Workplace Survey for a number of years, and one of the questions that was asked is, what do you like most about IVP? And every year, what people liked the most was our books. Hmm. So that all the employees employees, liked the books. We had about 100 people work with IVP, cared uh, about what we were producing. So there's a real sense of mission. You know, in in leadership uh, literature, people talk about their brand, sort of the external reputation. Then you talk about your culture, your internal. Mm -hmm. But there's also vision. What what do you care about? Mm -hmm. And uh, we really cared about... Uh, making a difference in people's lives for the sake of, of the kingdom. And right. uh, that was a motivating force. And then to try to demonstrate that um, as a publishing house in our own relationships and uh, in our relationships with authors. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it was fun to sort of work on that and to see it come together. Oh, I, I, think, I think it came through well. Um, and and the, one of the other things that, that, that came through to me in my uh, exposure with uh, IVP is a real love for you, the, mm. your your leadership. That um, I, I mean, watching you interact with others, this genuine care and respect that people had for you, and mm. so it makes a lot of sense to me for you to write write a book on leadership. Hmm? <laughs> uh, well, there's mutual affection. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed the people, and one of our values was the value of dignity of people and relationships. And we just talked about that, of how do we help each other grow, how we uh, give dignity to each other, whether you're an editor or whether you're working in the warehouse, uh, men, women, different ethnicities, that um, how we relate to each other is is part of who we are. And if we can't do that ourselves, why can we publish something and ask somebody else to do it? Right, right. There's a point of integrity in in wanting to do that and live that out as a company. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, I mean, I think it's one thing. I mean, we can hear that and go, yes, absolutely. But the the nitty-gritty, the nuts and bolts of that, I mean, honestly does not play out in a lot of organizations. Um, So to see that kind of firsthand play out, I think is uh, affirming, quite beautiful, actually. Well, that's very encouraging to hear you say uh, a lot of good people at IVP. Yeah, yeah. Bob, tell tell us a little bit about your book. It really came out of my own experience and, and a struggle in what it meant to be a Christian leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, I write about in the book that I had been involved in leadership and gone to a lot of leadership seminars and management things. And there's just a lot of good stuff. How do you build an organization and things that are said often by Christians or people who know what they're talking about, but rarely did they touch on issues of the soul. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of it put you in a mode of wanting to accomplish more, which made you more driven and being very externally focused. Mm-hmm. So I started reading books by um, Richard Foster and Dallas Willard and Eugene Peterson. would go on retreats of silence, um, try to practice disciplines of solitude and silence and found all those experiences uh, extremely helpful. Uh, I remember several Renovari conferences that were just wonderfully encouraging and the fullness of what was expressed there. But I often found that when I went back to work, I didn't know how to integrate that experience of being a part mm-hmm. into what it meant to live on a daily basis. 
and I think I was I had the wrong mental model. I, I talk in the book about I was thinking of like a bullseye. The American Western um, framework for doing things is what's the bottom line? What's the one thing you need to do? And I just kept vacillating between inside and outside. Mm-hmm. And um, like I said I, I felt like the proverbial man with his feet in the freezer and his head in the oven. But on the average, he felt fine, you know. <laughs> um, so, and, and that one side of the external work, but then the internal work. Right. And so the need was to how to bring them together and not just um, squish them together, mm-hmm. but what it would mean for the, those issues and those values to be fully integrated. Um, my background was engineering. I loved math. And the image of the ellipse came to mind, which, if you can picture in your mind, is an elongated circle. Okay. Mathematically, it's described by two focal points. Um, and both those focal points are equal. And you need both of them to uh, describe the ellipse. Okay. I thought, this is truer to life. Um, you know, Jesus is both human and divine. You can't say he is one or the other. Uh, or he's half and half. Uh, mm-hmm. He was fully uh, the God-man. Um, and so I felt that this was a, a way of looking at how could my inner life and my outer life be fully integrated and uh, supportive of each other so that my inner life affected my outer life and also that my outer life affected my inner life. Mm-hmm. And that was very helpful to see past that and then realize that I could work on both together and that so Sabbath was not just a spiritual discipline uh, for rest, but it was something that enabled me to be more creative and involved in, in my work during the week. Mm-hmm. And my sense of um, issues of justice uh, really affected what I prayed about and uh, issues of the soul. So this back and forth and became much more of a, an integrated whole. And then I, I stumbled across a familiar verse, but it was just so helpful. In Psalm 78, the, end, the last verse there, Psalms, uh, verse 72, um, Asaph, the psalmist, is writing about the history of Israel, and he ends up with David, this shepherd boy, who's taken out of the, out of the shepherd fields. Um, and he said, And David shepherded them, shepherded them with integrity of heart, and with skillful hands he led them. Hmm. That's the biblical picture of uh, the integrity of heart and skillful hands. So it's not just being theoretically, I'm a godly person. That's not just doing good things. But it's that that synergy, the spiritual synergy. I think in many ways, Jesus being full of grace and truth exemplifies that kind of thing. That it's not just objective truth and it's not just subjective feeling good or being nice. It's, it's how do those things fit together. And, and so that was inspiring and has helped me to pursue those sorts of things. Oh, that's good. And, and how would this then play out in your leadership? I mean, were there changes you began to see in the way you interacted you know, organizationally and uh, with workers? Well, yes. Um, I began to pay more attention to people. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things I like doing every time we hired someone, I would spend some time with them, just getting to know them a bit and uh, welcoming them to IVP, but trying to pay attention to where their soul was at. I, I, 
it wasn't the right time to be invasive or to pry, but you can connect and make a connection that is very helpful. Um, something else that came about was uh, the principle of shalom in the mm-hmm. Old Testament, of what does shalom look like in an organization? What does it mean for people to live with peacefulness rather than uh, angst? Mm-hmm. And that's hard and when you're always on deadline. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you know what, what that's like <laughs> <laughs> to get something done on time or relatively close. <laughs> Sorry. And <laughs> so another image that came to mind is being an organizational ecologist huh. of how do you uh, eliminate the toxic um, things that are in an organization and how do you provide nurturing help mm-hmm. so that people are growing. One of my favorite verses uh, about work is in Ecclesiastes where it talks about that, um, that p- if people love their work, it's a gift of God. Hmm. And so I really, and, they, and if they feel satisfied in the work. And so I kept talking with people on my own perspective was, how can we help people have satisfaction in their work? Hmm. That will reproduce in terms of the relationships with authors, with customers, with vendors. And um, that would multiply in terms of our mission and not just what we published, but who we were. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's good. You, you have a chapter a renewed mind, the practice of humble thought. Well, um, I think this is particularly relevant. We do a lot of academic books. Mm-hmm. Academics, there are many of them are very wonderful people, but often the academic world is a very um, intense world of argumentation. Mm-hmm. And then in opposition to that, often the church world doesn't do a lot of thinking. Mm-hmm. They're very emotional or spiritual and some good things but uh, often avoid rigorous thought and often avoid science, like what we're experiencing with climate change issues, that somehow it's hard to talk about that in church, that mm. uh, people aren't loving God with their minds to think through these issues. I came across a funny story from uh, Tom Wright, N.T. Wright. He was telling about a faculty member in, in Europe who uh, was just noted for being very critical of everybody else. He writes scathing reviews of his colleagues' works. And finally, one time, he decided to go to a conference where these colleagues were were meeting. And he went to the conference, and uh, he found that he really enjoyed them, um, Mm -hmm. which was a surprise. So he stopped going to conferences. (laughs) (laughs) This is going to get in the way of my academic That's right. It's sort of possible. But it's how do we love God with our minds so they're wrestling with issues, but not tearing people down, mm. not undermining uh, their integrity, but really supporting one another. Um, and I wrestled with this whole relationship with, with heart and mind. Um, you know, it was uh, one of the familiar quotes in spiritual formation literature is by Theophon the Recluse, who talks about descending from the mind to the heart. Mm. And I thought, does this guy understand? I mean, think of his name. I'm not sure he was really involved a whole lot (laughs) in terms of a lot of issues, but obviously he had something to say about this. (laughs) And I realized that it's not so much that we let go of our mind to be in touch with our heart, but often the mind is the way that we get to our heart. It's the way we take in information, relationships, and it's not an either or, but again, it's a synergy 
And you go back to Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. What Dallas Willard talks about, mental renewal with humility, I think, is the, mm. is the combination, not avoiding the mind or not being aggressively putting people, other, putting people down who don't agree with you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the church is characterized right now by a lot of anger and a lot of uh, argumentation, which mm-hmm. pushes people away. I, I've thought many times, so we need reconciliation in this world. And wouldn't it be wonderful if people thought, now, who, who does reconciliation well? Oh, the church does. <laughs> hey. So, um, and I think how we treat our mind is part of that. If we mm. avoid our thinking, we're not winsome. Or if we're argumentative, we're not winsome. Yeah, yeah. I love that vision of the church being known as people who do reconciliation well. And I mean, certainly scripturally, there's just the tenants are all there. Um, but and 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 your story's so good because it's so easy to think of a group in a way. But then when I know that person, I care about that person. Right. I love that person that I disagree with. That just changes everything in terms of my well, humility. I guess would be it then. Uh, yeah. Okay, tell me about the um, your chapter six in a lonely world, the promise of belonging. I find that our individualistic culture, uh, even though we talk about community and we have Facebook friends and we have online communities that often can be helpful, that deep down people are really lonely and they're lonely in crowds, in groups. Um, and I think one of the things that as leaders or all of us as Christians can help is to encourage a sense of belonging, um, that people are important in their identity, um, in, in who they are. I, I use an illustration um, from the Old Testament, uh, the daughters of Zelophat. I don't know if um, that's a very familiar <laughs> illustration. <laughs> I don't think it is. It's not for me. <laughs> yeah, well, numbers, I think it's chapter 27. Uh, these five daughters, uh, their father Zelophat died and According to the Mosaic law, his inheritance would only go to a son, but he didn't have a son. Okay. So the daughters complained that they would lose uh, their inheritance because there was no son. And so they went to Moses, and Moses didn't know what to do, and he went to the Lord. And the Lord essentially said, they're right. Uh, You know, these are the first feminists. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, The law should be changed so that the inheritance would be divided among them. Mm-hmm. Because at that time, inheritance was land, so it was very important uh, to have that, that property. But then the uh, it's such a realistic story. About seven chapters later, uh, other people in the tribe complained because they were afraid the daughters would marry people outside their tribe and mm-hmm. take all that land and move it to another tribe. Mm-hmm. And so they said, that's not fair. Uh, so they went to Moses. Moses went to the Lord. And he said, they're right, too. So what we need to figure out is the women get the inheritance, but they have to marry within the tribe. Okay. And it's just such a, a story of practical working out a difficult situation, but saying everyone belongs. You know, the mm-hmm. women have a right to this, and we just can't say, well, this is the Mosaic Law as it was written, and we can't change it. We can go to the Lord and ask for help in this, and sometimes our best answers hurt somebody else. How do they belong? There's almost a spirit of inclusiveness of helping people belong, even with differences. And that's part of the challenge, I think, in leadership, particularly people coming from different church backgrounds or 
spiritualities, um, often they don't feel comfortable. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, your dad's book on uh, streams of living water is just such a wonderful help. I've taught that several times in our church adult ed mm-hmm. program because it helps that sense of belonging rather than isolation. Mm-hmm. Appreciating what others bring to the table. And, uh, yeah. Do, and how does that play out in a leadership role to help others feel a sense of belonging and value? Well, we tried to do uh, a lot of relational things. Um, one of the things we did in my first year there, we uh, all went out to lunch and tables of four. And we had four major departments at the time and had one representative from each department and just get to know each other. Because often in an organization, people can become siloed by their departments or by geography or whatever, and just to see that other people have value. Um, And we did a number of things so that people in the warehouse would feel that they're contributing as much as somebody in marketing or Mm -hmm. somebody in material, Um, and to talk about that, Mm -hmm. uh, to celebrate that. So we try to do a lot together. We try to have parties together (laughs) and (laughs) bring pizza in or have ice cream not every day, not every week, not even necessarily every month, but enough times that people thought we are a community and learn from one another. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So what would you say to uh, a Christian leader? I mean, if you had two or three points that you said, this is really important for you to think about, cultivate, practice. Well, I think the heart of leadership is really um, integrity. Um, Mm -hmm. That people see through when you're faking it or if you're pretending in some way or other uh, or if ego takes over and we all struggle with that. Sure. But being able to acknowledge that and share that um, with people just makes a big difference. Um, sometimes it's integrity in finances. Uh, we would have a daily chart so everyone in the company knew what our sales were. Mm-hmm. So they felt that we're open with information and transparent that way. Um, integrity with, with authors to try to be very honest in uh, what we're doing and deadlines and stuff like that. Um, integrity in marketing that we didn't want to overpromise or, or say things that weren't true just to sort of hype a book. Mm-hmm. And I think it goes back to this integrity of inner life and outer life um, that that's the greatest tension because we want to, you know, you're familiar, I'm sure, with the false self, true self. Hmm. And we live so much, and leaders are, are just pushed to the false self. Mm-hmm. Often it's the followers that push us to the false self. Because <laughs> they want us to be uh, perfect and all. And then they want to knock us down when we, when we fail. <laughs> um, so it's almost really the true self um, being in touch with who we are. I think self-awareness is a tremendously important thing. Having... Um, Friends and family, they're good critics that are very honest. Mm-hmm. My wife is a wonderful uh, colleague with me, and she says sometimes that her role is to blow up my balloon and then pop it. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes we need that. We need encouragement as leaders because if we get down on ourselves, then we start doing stupid things mm-hmm. because if, if other people aren't going to praise us, we're going to do it ourselves. Um, or that we – and leaders get – really criticized a lot too and that can be disheartening to the soul but I think the remedy to that is to praise and encourage others rather than try to centralize leadership in praise for yourself Mm -hmm. 
and again, it comes to humility, and maybe humility is is the greatest virtue um, and the hardest one. Because um, once you think you've achieved it, <laughs> you've lost it. It's a moving so, target. <laughs> it really is. And the other thing I'd say is just I think the model of Jesus and the character of Jesus being full of grace and truth. If yeah. We can be people that are truthful in every way and act in grace and be full of grace. Um, that that attracts people to leadership mm-hmm. and gives you a greater freedom in doing it. That sets a culture for others to follow, right? If right. grace and truth and humility, these are important, then it becomes contagious of sorts. And beauty too. It, it's sort of a subset of that. Mm-hmm. It was fun to be part of an industry where beauty was important uh, in terms of book covers and marketing materials. Mm-hmm. But to see beauty as uh, something we could embrace as part of culture, beauty of relationships, beauty visually, and that I, I just find greatly lacking in culture today, which is so ugly and so pragmatic and so uninterested in the arts in the broader, broader sense. So I think anything we as leaders can do to bring an artistic, uh, imaginative dimension to what we're accomplishing. Oh, that's good. That's good. What what would you say to? I mean, I I really like your statement about um, leaders getting caught in kind of living out of a false self, and how others will help push us towards a false self in terms of their expectations for us to be something we're not. Um, what would you say to someone who's caught in that about how to begin to unravel? Uh, and, and, and move more towards a, a, a true sense of, of self in leadership? Yeah, that's a, a good one and a hard one um, because being self-aware of our own blind spots is is very hard. Mm-hmm. And um, if we're being criticized, being pushed in a corner, we tend to react. Mm-hmm. But I think confession, you know, when we've to take the lead in acknowledging where we're not doing well, and it doesn't have to be uh, wearing your heart on your sleeve in any kind of maudlin way, mm-hmm. but admitting mistakes um, and uh, wanting to do better and mm-hmm. just – and then supporting others. I, I think people desperately need encouragement. And um, as a leader, they expect me to be negative on them. Uh, <laughs> just something built into negative – into American culture, maybe all cultures – that people in authority are going to pounce on them for doing something wrong. It's mm-hmm. partly because of God, too, you know, that God is vindictive. Mm-hmm. So anything to reverse that image and try to demonstrate grace and encouragement, then it comes as a fruit of the Spirit. I mean, you can't plan it out or, uh, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, it's not a template. Right. It comes by God's grace. And it takes time. These things take, it takes time. time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I had a friend that used to say um, a zucchini can grow in uh, six weeks. It takes 60 years to grow an oak. <laughs> you want to be a Christian zucchini or a Christian oak? <laughs> <laughs> there you have it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I wonder, too, if the, and the relationship you have with Alice, your wife, that mm-hmm. statement of, you know, to blow the balloon up and to pop it. Um, I mean, I wonder if that having that aspect or these relationships in our life in leadership where there are people who can be very, very honest with us and help kind of, you know, blow up the balloon when needs to and and help pop it when it needs to. Oh, for sure. 
I think we all need, if we're married, just need very honest spouses and to encourage our spouses to be honest with our, with, with us. Um, so Alice has been a real gift to me. In fact, her name Alice means truth. And uh, mm. so the truth is extremely important to her. And I'm just thankful for that, even though it hurts at times. Um, but she, I know she has my best interests at heart, and she's a wonderful encourager, too. Um, but for single people, um, and we can't all just put all the load on our spouse, either. We need some people around us that um, have that care that we really want what's best for us and will let us know when um, we need, we're doing something wrong, as well as to really encourage us when we're um, struggling with our own sense of self-worth and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. The, the isolation for a leader is, is really dangerous, isn't it? Oh, it is, and, but it's very real. Mm-hmm. It's something that uh, I was talking to someone the other day who moved into an executive position, and all of a sudden his close friends seemed to be a step distant from him, mm. that they weren't able to share the same friendliness that they had had just a week previous. And it was just that positional distance uh, is something that's hard to overcome. Mm-hmm. And it takes time. It takes trust. But it, it, it's a reality. And intentionality to find spaces where you can be honest, right. vulnerable with people that it's healthy to let in. Um, yeah. Well, what you say trust is a very important thing that people know that you will not take their comments and misuse them in any way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Back to the haunt you or something that would be destructive. And yet, you know, we are not perfect people, so we need to have grace with each other as we sort of sashay along in this spiritual journey. It's a back and forth, and, uh, but as long as we're moving in that direction of following Jesus, I think God uh, loves to help us in that process. Yeah, I think so, too. I think so, too. <laughs> hey, are you, do you have other writing projects? Not right now. Um, I have a couple things in the back of my mind, but... I don't feel a need to write at this point, uh-huh. and I just don't want to write for the sake of writing. Um, I, I want to have something that really feels a calling uh, mm-hmm. to be. The, the thought that I've had, I, I've just entered into retirement, so um, I, I've wondered what is my identity now that it's not as publisher and it's not leading a group of 100 people. Um, it's just being at home <laughs> and <laughs> doing other things, you know. And the image that came to me was from Ezekiel, where the prophet has this vision of the water flowing from the temple. Mm-hmm. And the prophet goes into the stream, and it's up to his ankles, and it's up to his knees, and it's up to his waist, and he finds himself swimming in it. And there's lots of prophetic issues involved there. But one of the, the, the pictures is that wherever the water flowed, there was fruitfulness, there was flourishing. Mm. And what came to me is I want to be a person that to flow with the water and to help provide human flourishing mm-hmm. um, and uh, fruitfulness in other people. And that's been a good image to carry me along. And I don't know whether I'll actually write about that. I, uh, it's an intriguing picture of water in Scripture and just how God uses water um, as a metaphor but I think I need to live it out a little more before I write about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's good. What was the, I heard a quote, Dallas quote, where he was encouraging people to, he was talking about speaking, public speaking. He says to 
not seek to speak, but seek to have something to speak about. Yes. And I think we could say the same for writing, right? Not to seek to write a book, but seek to have something to write about. <laughs> yeah, well, now one said something of like that, too, in his Genesee diary, where he was struggling with his own sense of self-worth, and he found himself, he was always trying to be in a state of preparation. He was preparing for talks and preparing for this demand, rather than living in a state of preparation, where his soul and his person was prepared, rather than always preparing for production. Right, right. Well, that fits that water, yeah. right? Being fruitful yeah. in, in whatever whatever comes. <laughs> <laughs> right. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Bob, for uh, taking the time today. Well, it's good. And I, take care. It's good to talk with you. Well, there you have it. Again, uh, Bob's book is The Leadership Ellipse, Shaping How We Lead by Who We Are, by his proper name, Robert Freiling. Thanks so much for listening and have a great week.